And good afternoon, Friday afternoon in town, KPFK on your very own radio at 90.7 FM all over Southern California. Out of Santa Barbara County, we're at 98.7 FM, and of course, streaming for the Earth Planet at kpfk.org. Hi, hello, howdy, Michael Benner with Intervision now till 2 o'clock this afternoon. Nice to be with you on what uh, is the leading edge of one of these uh, all-too-rare three-day holiday weekends, at least for many folks. Uh, I know there's lots of folks that work right through it, all kinds of people that are uh, overworked and underpaid uh, in all kinds of industries, especially civil service people got to work on the holidays. But uh, hopefully you're going to get some time off and uh, enjoy this holiday weekend. It's also Memorial Day. I hope you take some opportunity this weekend, especially with your family, if you have an immediate family nearby. Bring in the kids, bring in the parents, and uh, I think we need to, every year, renew Memorial Day and understand what it means. Uh, The whole idea that the Democratic Party in Congress has caved to the insanity of the Bush administration because they're afraid that we're all so stupid, the American people, that uh, we're going to be influenced by uh, the Bush-Cheney smear campaign saying that the Democrats abandoned the troops, or like they've been saying about Rosie O'Donnell this week, she thinks American soldiers are terrorists. No, we think Bush and Cheney are terrorists, and these kids are lied to and told that they're defending America and they're retaliating for 9-11, and uh, then they get over there and find out the truth. Or sometimes figure it out before they get over there. But, uh, yeah, Memorial Day. It's a good time to remember the insanity of war. My position, and maybe yours too, is that I'm not just opposed to this war personally. I'm opposed to all war. I just find it the most barbaric and insane institution. It has never made sense to me. Even when I was a young man in the Vietnam era and draftable, low lottery number, 1A, I was 1A for a year and a half. I couldn't get my student deferment. They were taking everybody. And I said, wait a minute, you want me to go halfway around the, 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 the world, 10, 11 time zones away to some place in Southeast Asia and shoot at people I've never, never met, never been introduced to, never did me any wrong? Oh, yeah, Lyndon Johnson used to say, we have to fight them over there or we're going to end up fighting them over here. <laughs> Does that sound familiar? They called it the domino theory. They had to lie, too. They said the North Vietnamese had shot at American ships in the Gulf of Tonkin. That was uh, LBJ's lie. And so it continues. So, yeah, remember the soldiers this weekend, the women and men who have lost their lives doing their duty, what they think is the right thing to do, but also remember the insanity behind it and how easily the Democrats are bought off. They're Republican light, and I'm very, very frustrated personally, and I think you are too. It's not our topic today. I'm just got this anxiety since uh, 
the vote a couple of days ago, and then here we are, Memorial Day weekend. And imagine ref- <laughs> continuing to fund the slaughter because you're afraid that when you get home, Karl Rove will smear you as not supporting the troops. Boy, what a bunch of wussies. Feinstein, boxer, they laid down for it. There's your senators. There's your big Democratic Party. Who else do we have, you say? I don't know. How about some integrity? You know, uh, so another thing I want to do before I tell you what my theme is for the day today is suggest a program that's coming up. I'm still formulating it, and I want to share it with you. I want to do a consumer program. Yeah, this show, Intervision, is a program about spirituality and philosophy. Both as a journalist and a philosopher, I have always looked for truth. And uh, when I see lies, I like to talk about it. I like to expose it as part of the search for truth. And gosh, consumerism, if if there even is such a thing anymore, uh, the way we're being treated increasingly by Ever larger businesses and corporations is just uh, bordering on the ridiculous. And I'd like to give you an opportunity in the coming weeks to to talk about your consumer nightmare stories. So it'll probably be after the fun drive, probably late June or early July before I do it. But I wanted to mention that, too. I, you know, I stopped at a gas station this morning to fill up, and there's a TV screen on the gas pump. I've never seen this before. And I put the the damn nozzle into the into the tank and started pumping gas. And as soon as the pump came on, the TV came on, and there were TV commercials. There were commercials. And I had to stand there and watch. Well, I didn't have to watch, but it was interesting looking around the gas station. Everywhere, people were pumping gas. They were standing there with one hand on the gas nozzle and their eyes on the TV camera or the TV screen, mounted on the gas pump. <laughs> and so now you not only have to pay three fifty for a gallon of gas, you got to watch a TV commercial. Oh, and they slowed the pump down. So there'd be time for two or three commercials. It's just getting crazy. It's just insane. And where do these people live? That's another thing. I would like to start outing oil executives. I want to know where they live. Even if they're in gated communities, I think we should know who these people are and where they live. And out them, you know. I got a lot on my mind. I really do. Uh, next week, I'm going to be out of town. My wife, Doreen, is going to do a special Profiles and Peace in this spot with one of our dear friends, the wackiest, craziest, real-deal mystic I've ever met, Andrew Harvey very prolific author of more than 30 books. And, uh, boy, Andrew's an amazing guy, and you got to hear this show a week from today, the special intervision segment in my absence next week, Doreen interviewing Andrew Harvey. And uh, it's done. It's in the can. Uh, you're going to dig it a lot. The following week, I'll be back, June 8th, interviewing a fellow on Buddhism, That'll be June 8th, and then after that we go into fundraising for a couple of weeks. And uh, I think that'll be on the 15th and 22nd, and then June 29th back to regular programming. So there you go, some of what we 
have in store for you. As I said, sometime in July, I'd like to do that consumer program, get some horror stories. Boy, I got some that'll curl your hair, and uh, I bet you do too, so I thought I'd mention that. Well, today I want to reprise the program we did last week and do another two-part program. A few weeks ago, we did two parts on loneliness, and I got lots and lots of mail. Last week, we did a program on sleep and dreams, and I got, again, lots and lots of mail. So we're going to do part two of that, because an hour just doesn't seem, especially with phone calls, like nearly enough time. So here we go. Memorial Day weekend, 2007. The war rages. The Democrats are wussies. Gas is three fifty a gallon, and we're going to talk about dreams. Why not? <laughs> I don't mean the American dream. That's become a nightmare long ago. I mean your personal dreams and visions, the dreams we have at night, and uh, also the ability, and this goes into esoteric philosophy as symbolism and allegory, you know, one of the fascinating things of learning to interpret the meaning of the dreams that we occasionally remember in the morning when we wake up is we can then use those same skills to interpret in an allegorical or metaphorical way the strange occurrences of our waking states. Using a simple technique I describe as the, if it were a dream, what would it mean technique? You know those strange coincidences that happen from time to time in your life, and you want to tell somebody, but they're like so strange that there aren't that many people you can tell. They would just look at you oddly and shrug and, yeah, so what? And yet you got a sense there is some connection there. You're not sure what connects this incident with that incident with this incident over there, but somehow there seems to be an invisible connection of some sort, a coincidence or a series of coincidences that are meaningful. And, of course, the Jungian term for this is synchronicities. And you'd, I think if you work with the dreams you have at night and practice jotting them down in the morning, and don't even strain or, or, or trouble yourself to interpret them. Just let them age. If you write little dream fragments down in a, a nice journal and just once or twice a month review the dreams, they'll start making sense to you. The, the, the dream that seems so cryptic when you wake up in the morning and jot it down, in context, a few weeks later, makes a lot of sense. So you can buy your dream dictionaries and such. They have uh, they have some value. They may help you a little bit to understand the meaning of your dreams. But keep in mind, there are symbols that are archetypes. That is, they are universal symbols in all cultures and ethnicities. There are many dream symbols that are cultural and many, of course, that are personal. And even some things that happen in dreams that are even literal. How about that? We talked last week a little bit at the top of the show about dreams being, if not the primary reason we sleep, certainly one of the reasons that we sleep. We know people can go for quite a bit of uh, time being sleep-deprived, but if you are dr dream-deprived, 
you be <laughs> you become certifiable in a couple of days. You have a psychic break within 48 hours if denied an opportunity to dream. The need to dream is so strong that you'll begin to hallucinate in your daily life. And uh, so... It's just a fascinating field, and I thought we'd open the telephones today and let you talk about it again. Pick up where we left off. We had some some really interesting calls last week, and as I said, a lot of mail this week, a lot of great email. By the way, you can always email me here at uh, my initials, mb, at theagelesswisdom.com. We like to promote the radio station website. I want you to go there first. For any information about this program or any other, that's kpfk.org. Write it on the wall, bookmark it, set your homepage to it in the browser, kpfk.org. Most of the programs, certainly this one, are archived there for 90 days as either streaming or downloadable. You can also subscribe to the Friday Intervision podcast there and many other KPFK programs or podcasts there, kpfk.org. And then you can also visit my website, theagelesswisdom.com. So that's the derivation of my email. My initials, mb at theagelesswisdom.com. All right. Now, let me give you the telephone number. We're live on this Friday afternoon. Brooks is our producer and ready to take your calls about dreams, questions and comments about dreams, the dreams you remember in the morning, what they mean, or maybe a little about the nature of sleep, or we touched a little on sleep disorders as well last week. We can do some of that too. There are well over a hundred and some, 120, 130 different sleep disorders. 818-985-5735-985-KPFK in the 818 area code. I guess most people who listen to this show know that I'm not a psychologist by background. I am not a psychotherapist. I come to philosophy and spirituality initially as a journalist looking for truth, and I found very little truth in news, so I began to study philosophy. And so much of what is at the root of human behavior, whether it's current events and news, government and politics, or just individuals and families in their personal lives, is fear and stress-related that uh, you really have to study sleep and dreams at some point, stress being one of the primary reasons for insomnia and, and many other sleep disorders and uh, narcolepsy, sleep eating. My concern last week, and still a bit of a concern for me, is the uh, prevalent use, the popularity of sleep medications. Uh, Ambien and Lucerna. And I think I'm right about I know I'm right about Ambien. Where did where Lucerna come in? I think I'm right about that. Ambien and other sleep drugs... Uh, you know, we are a drug-crazed society. We love our drugs. We love our medicines. Of course, the gentle substances like, you know, marijuana, little flowers, they'll throw you in prison for that. But, by God, there's a drug store on every corner. We likes our drugs. You uh, do a little research, you'll see Ambien is not to be used for more than 10 days. But I don't know anybody 
that has a script for Ambien that's limited to 10 days. People just keep doing it and doing it and doing it. And of course, we're just not taking life on its own terms. As you learn to manage stress and to take responsibility for your life, I don't mean self-blame, I mean response ability, the ability to choose your responses, what you do with life. It's a good place to begin to understand the meaning of the word. It's funny, you know, since the secret has become so popular in the last few months, I see so many people trying to figure out how they magnetize the situation they're in rather than putting their attention on magnetizing what they're going to do now that they find themselves in the situation. You know, it's for, look to the future, forget the past. Take responsibility for what you do before you worry about taking responsibility for what's been done to you. It's a curious thing, that whole word responsibility. I especially like when conservatives act like they invented the word. They're the responsible ones, right? And you're the spiritual ones too, aren't you? Your crusades. 818-985-5735. If you want to talk about sleep and dreams, why we sleep, why we dream, what the dreams mean. Had people... Uh, sending me emails about uh, some of their wonderful dreams, folks that wanted to get on last week and couldn't get on. And uh, it really is fascinating. I don't know why more people don't talk about it or even write them down. By the way, if you're under the impression that you do not, um, how can I say this? Well, if you're under the impression that you don't dream, people have said to me, no, I just, yeah, I I don't have dreams anymore, Michael. Well, of course you do. You just are not remembering them. That's why it's always a good idea to put a little journal and a nice pen on the table next to your bed because you form an intention of remembering before you go to sleep. You're much more likely to remember them when you do wake up in the morning. So I don't remember my dreams. It's just evidence of the fact that you haven't cared long enough for such a long time, you haven't cared so that you just stop remembering them. But we do dream. We dream about six or eight minutes every 90 to 100 minutes. Yeah. It varies from individual to individual. It varies a little bit throughout the night. But essentially every 90 to 100 minutes, brainwave activity increases just a little bit. You come up into this theta brainwave level, four to seven cycles. Dream for about six, seven, eight minutes, and uh, then drop back into delta, low and REM, no REM, non-dream sleep. And uh, Freud called dreams. Jung was interested. You know, William James, all the early psychologists and so-called psychiatrists, psychoanalysts, and others. Fascinated by dreams, fascinated by the fact that human beings have to spend one-third of their lives in this strange, unconscious trance. Why aren't you fascinated? Maybe you are. Maybe <laughs> Hopefully you are. I've always been fascinated by it. The deep, sweet, narcotic sleep in dreams. To sleep, perchance, to dream. Let's go to the telephones. Is Carrie first? Do you want to go with Carrie? You're on KPFK with Michael Benner, and we're talking about sleep and dreams on InterVision. Hello, Carrie. 
Hey, Michael, how you doing? Better and better. Thanks for calling. Hey, yeah, I wanted to talk about, uh, it sounds odd, but probably the, one of the most uh, disturbing dreams I have, uh, not uh, horror or, you know, you get those once in a while, and it's a, this dream seems pretty easy to interpret, but I, I have dreams sometimes of uh, financial windfalls, that, like win the lottery or come into money in some other way, and uh, they're wonderful dreams, but the awakening out of a dream is probably, it's probably the most troubling awakening I have because that realization snaps to you and that, you know, that you can't pay off your student loans or that credit card won't get paid off or... Yeah. Uh, well, that's one of a, that's an example, from what you've said anyway, I would guess that that's an example of a pretty popular uh, or common type of dream called the wish fulfillment dream. And uh, so, you know, if you fail to do something during the day or there's a pattern of not succeeding as you would like in some area of your life, then often in the dreams that we have at night, you find yourself succeeding. And uh, what some might say is a way of just relieving the stress and the anxiety uh, that comes out of that frustration. So it's a good thing, maybe, that your body is, even for a third of the day, letting you experience prosperity, you know. And uh, you might want to consider framing it in a positive way. And when you wake up, sure, there will be some disappointment. You didn't really win the lottery. But uh, nevertheless, boy, am I glad I got rid of all that stress. It comes from feeling like I'm not supported. Has money always been an issue for you? Uh, you know what? It has. I'm not in. My wife and I aren't in tremendous debt, but just enough to keep the pressure on. We're both still students in a lot of ways, and yeah. So yeah, it is always a factor. Well, debt is the American way. I'd like to get out of that. <laughs> I I understand that. I understand that. I have a fantasy about declaring bankruptcy 12 hours before I die. Just <laughs> just as you get older, just max and stick Bank of America with all of it, right? No, that's a, a debt of course is a horrible thing, but uh, uh there's a lot of material out there and I'm not really talking about the secret right now, but traditionally prosperity consciousness, there are many many wonderful books uh about prosperity consciousness, uh, books that will help you think in terms of like being the lottery rather than having it done to you. You are the lottery, you know. I mean, it runs from the New Testament and, and, and Matthew where Christ talks about prosperity and abundance and look at the birds of the air and the lilies of the field and they toil not, they do not spin or weave or gather into barns and they're cared for, all their needs are met. Uh, to uh, non-religious books like, uh, oh, certainly Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich is a classic. Uh, Catherine Ponder's Dynamic Laws of Prosperity, another very good book. And uh, again, a little Google search will help you find a lot more. So much of it is just in your attitude. There's there, it, One way of looking at it is that there's three kinds of prosperity consciousness, there's poverty consciousness, break-even consciousness, and prosperity consciousness. And in the United States, you have pretty much an opportunity to be in any one of those three groups. I would be uh, ridiculous, I think, if I didn't hasten to add 
that there are many places in the world where the grinding effect of poverty is such that prosperity consciousness for most people is not an option. You know, there's, there's so much injustice and poverty in the world that to talk about people in Darfur or the people abandoned by our government in New Orleans after Katrina, um, that they just don't have the right way of thinking, it's ridiculous. But for those of us who are upwardly mobile, have access to good education, yeah, change, work on checking some of these books out and changing your consciousness, and uh, maybe you can let a little more prosperity in. For me, the hard thing about prosperity is that so many of the really dark and evil people in the world are rich people that I think there's a part of us that wants to be prosperous, but not if it's going to make us... Into that person. Yeah. Yeah, I agree completely. Yeah, so... I want more for spiritual prosperity and peace in my life than I do for the windfall of tremendous wealth. Yeah, think of what you could do with money in terms of setting up schools and, uh, uh, you know, feeding hungry people and, and building Absolutely. homes and and transitioning them into independence and self-sufficiency. Clearly, our government's not going to do that. Democrats don't do that. Uh, Republicans clearly don't do that. I actually spend a great deal of time fantasizing about that. Do you? <laughs> yes, I do. And what part of it? The education, the housing, the feeding? Where would you be? Uh, uh, I, I aspire, and I'm actually waiting to get into nursing school right now. I want to help. Uh, education of children. I'm very in tune with uh, the plight of children in the world today and their uh, uh, starvation and just the horrible, horrible things that are happening to, to children all over the world. And I, I'd like to make a difference. And so, if any fantasies of uh, wealth, a lot of times it's channeled towards making a difference uh, for children in the world. And I have a two year and a half year old son, too, so that. Oh, yeah. a lot into it, watching, seeing him grow and looking at go. what's going on in the world today. You look at him, you see the children of the world, right? Oh, absolutely. Well, what I'd suggest you do, try this. Uh, when you go to sleep tonight, and you may want to do this three or four nights in a row, uh, after you and your wife have chatted and you've done your pillow talk and uh, said your sweet nothings and done your prayers and all of that, and you're ready to really knock out, uh, think about the children of the world being fed. Do not think about how that could happen or what needs to be done, the mechanism or the means. Just imagine what the world would look like if there were no hungry children here and the impact that that would have on the world in terms of ending war, uh, in terms of just people feeling free, uh, the impact that it would have on the birth rate, for example. Um we know that the the better fed and the better educated people are, the fewer children they have. So this would be a wonderful, wonderful thing. And uh, as you fall asleep, thinking with a little smile on your face, fantasizing, taking a daydream with you into a night dream, see if that doesn't change the quality of the dreams you're remembering when you wake up in the morning. Oh, that's powerful. I appreciate that. Give that a whirl. See what comes up. I absolutely will. You may have a calling or a mission in there. You may be the guy. I would, I would, uh, that would be wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Thanks for calling. Hey, thanks for your time. I have a great day, sir. You too, and a great Memorial Day holiday weekend here. 
It's Intervision on KPFK. Let's go to Commerce. Oscar, you're on Intervision with Michael Benner. How are you doing? How are you doing, Michael? Thank you for taking my call. Thanks for calling, man. I've, uh, first, I have two recurring dreams. Uh, my grandfather passed on when I was about six uh, in uh, Guatemala, Guatemala. Uh-huh. And I dreamt about him for the next about 15 to 17 years. And in my dream, I would see him in his typical white shirt. And I would ask him in my dream, I thought you were dead. And he would say, uh, no, son, I was just in the city. As he would take several trips back and forth from the city to uh, his ranch. And then that finally stopped um, after the 15 years. But then I started having a recurrent dream that uh, I'm running Someone's chasing me, and I usually see family members uh, laughing at me. And I usually wake up when I either get, uh, I usually get killed, either stabbed or shot or something. Yeah, I usually get killed, and that's when I wake up. Yeah, that's pretty popular, pretty common dream. I've had those too. You ever have a dream where you're in some sort of struggle and everything seems like slow motion? Yes. Like you're in jello or underwater or something? Like you go to sw- not, usually, I'm running or I'm stuck to something, or yeah. I, I, like you said, like everything is moving except me. Yeah. Well, again, uh, you know, without going into any detail, because I, I, I don't know you well enough, and I haven't looked at your your dream journals, but just on the surface, it's likely that that represents the kind of. Uh, stress and anxiety that so many of us feel in our daily life and affairs. We just feel like we got to run, run, run to keep up and that there is competition that's that's after us. There's always a bad guy out there that's trying to catch up with us. Uh, you could say that it represents most likely our internal struggles and our internal conflicts more than a literal struggle with people in the world. You you know people aren't really out to get you, right? I mean, in a sense, <laughs> some people are. But think of it more in, in a personal way. And as far as the first dream about, it, was it your grandfather you mentioned in the white shirt? That's correct. Yes, yeah. I was very close to him. Yeah. I think it's just... That's a beautiful thing. I think that reflects just how much you love him, how much you admire him, and how much you would like to be like him. And, and model what was good and beautiful about him as a man. and So that's a good thing, too. You keep doing that. But uh, I think we got to assume that when we dream of people that cross over, that there's something really going on there. I, I, I think there's something real and true there. I told the story last week about my mother's father coming to me in a dream, dancing an Irish jig the morning that my brother and his wife had their first kid. So that would have been his first grandchild, though he had died 10 years earlier. And I knew that my sister-in-law was due, but when I had the dream, I didn't really think about her having had the baby until later in the morning. And my brother called and I thought, yeah, oh, I- that's why I had that dream of Grandpa dancing because the baby was born last night. Pretty cool. Yeah. I, I listen to the show every week, and uh, I, I heard you know you telling that dream. Uh, well, thank you for taking my call, and um, I think it might be because I try to help my family. Maybe sometimes I feel like I can't help everyone, and I try my best. 
Well, keep in, again, keep in mind, you can always look at dreams as potentially being literal, but one of the primary rules is that in, in understanding them is that everyone in your dream is you. If you have a dream of being in a big house, that house is sort of you and your life and your affairs. Or if you have a dream of being in a car, that car is you. Look at what kind of car it is. Is it a great big SUV or a little sporty car? Are you in the driver's seat or is somebody else driving your car? Those kinds of things. So even famous people in a dream could be parts of you. And certainly family members who who come up repeatedly in a dream can be aspects of your personality and parts of you that you either admire or or not. And uh, consider that in the context of, well, maybe it is literal also. Okay? Thank you for your comments, Michael. Everybody in your dream is you. Thank you for your comments and great show. Thank you. Appreciate it. Not always true, but that's a good rule of thumb. Everybody in your dream is you. Yeah, check that out. What do you think? Sleep and dreams, that's what we're talking about. Part two today till 2 o'clock this afternoon on this Friday, the leading edge of a nice long memorial holiday weekend. At least we hope it is for you. Thanks for tuning in. Stay with us. We're going to be here till 2 o'clock this afternoon with Intervision on KPFK. My name's Michael Benner, and we'll be right back. For over 50 years, Philosophy East and West with Alan Watts has been broadcast on Pacifica Radio. KPFK continues this tradition with Alan Watts, Sunday mornings at 8.30. That's Alan Watts, Philosophy East and West, Sundays at 8.30 a.m. on KPFK Los Angeles. The only really free and unashamedly creative and adventurous radio station in the world. KPFK and your radio, there's a tradition, the Alan Watts program. You know, Alan Watts, a uh, prolific author, teacher, really was one of the uh, first writers in the 50s and 60s to bring Buddhism and Taoism and mystical Hinduism, Eastern philosophies, the Yoga Sutras and such to our attention in the West. Certainly there were other teachers, but Alan did have a way. He was a pretty funny guy. He had a TV show for a while up in the Bay Area. Was on the uh, board of directors of Pacifica back in the day, and uh, though he passed on some 30 years ago, it's a wonderful tribute to Alan and his contribution to Pacifica, the world, all of his wonderful books. That we still run them. Roy of Hollywood's been running Alan Watts tapes in the middle of the night for as long as I can remember, and now the Sunday morning show, too. Check him out. My God, if you've never heard of Alan Watts, Use KPFK to learn more about that fellow. Buy a few of his books, if you'd like. Nice entry-level introduction to Eastern philosophies. Let's go to Wildemar and uh, Josie. Might be Jose. Looks like Josie, though. You're on InterVision with Michael Benner. Hello. 
Hello, Michael. How are you? It is Josie, then. I'm better yes, and better. Is. Thank you. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, the reason I'm calling is there's two dreams that for the past year, year and a half or so, I'm, con- I'm having them repeatedly. Um, at least once a week, um, I have a dream that I'm talking to someone, and all of a sudden, my teeth are falling out. Oh, really? Yeah, my front teeth, they're just like, they're falling, and I'm talking, and I look down, and they're in my hand. Uh, teeth, uh, teeth can represent a couple of things. Teeth often, especially if teeth are falling out or breaking, can be a representation of a difficult problem that, oh, how shall I say, that we're chewing on. <laughs> but okay. it also can represent a frustration, and it, it sounds like in this case it may have more to do with a frustration you're experiencing saying things that you want to say or maybe more to the point getting heard. Well, that that, that can be. Um, I've been having this this whole year has been, actually a year and a half has been very traumatic for my family. Um, my husband had two injuries. Um, he's He recuperated from them fine, but I mean, and I lost my job, so a lot of stuff have, has been going on. Yeah, so there's I'm, your problem. Yeah, so I'm assuming that's it, but I'm just, I can't kick that dream off. I'm just constantly having it, and I'm like going, what's going on here? And I, it's, I wake up, and I feel like, oh my God, are my teeth are still there? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like my teeth are I there. know, I can imagine. And then the other dream that I have is... Well, well, let me speak a little more, and then I want to hear number two, but let me let me add a couple of things to this. First of all, I want you to work on your language, and instead of can't, mm-hmm. uh, let's try haven't been able to. Okay. Instead of I can't shake this dream, which means you expect to have it for the rest of your life, how about I haven't been able to? Okay. That sort of implies till now. I haven't been able to. It's a way of saying the truth without projecting it forward. Okay. Uh, and the second thing I want to say about it is Consider that any dream that repeats itself is the subconscious trying to communicate something important and valuable to you. It's like saying, hey, girl, what do I need to do for you to get the message? And so see what you can do to accept whatever message or insight you're getting from this. Maybe just that this is a period of your life you're going through where you know the saying, when it rains, it pours, all your problems seem to come at once. Uh-huh. We see that in our lives. We see that in the lives of other people. Maybe it's a reassuring thing. I like to err on the positive side in all of my dream interpretation with myself and others and mm-hmm. and assume that just like the universe wants you to heal, life is growth and growth is healing. And our dreams often are nothing more than an expression of life supporting us and saying, you go, girl, you can do this. Hang in there. I know it's tough now. You're getting your teeth knocked out. Life's kicking you in the face, but hang in there. Your teeth are okay. You'll be doing okay. Mm, that makes a lot of sense now. It yeah. does. Okay. Definitely does. And the second dream? It um, Bodies of water. Bodies of water, e- either the ocean, a lake, or a swimming pool. Um, I'm, you know, I'm in a gathering fam- family. My family has, um, we're either barbecuing or we're around water. And um, I just, um, I look down and I feel 
well, one dream that I had recently was uh, we're, we're at a lake somewhere. I don't, I don't know where. I've never been there, of course. There's a lake, and my husband and I are walking, and I'm, we're looking at the water, and it's just continuously just going and going. And, um, and I don't know. I just don't understand this, just water, just rivers and lakes and pools come to, to my life that I don't understand. Water often, again, all of these dreams could be either archetypes, that is, universal symbols, or they could be cultural or even personal, and I have no way of knowing. Mm -hmm. But having said that, water is a very common dream symbol, and in most cases, even as a universal archetype, represents our emotional nature. And so even more interesting than the fact that you have a lot of water in your dreams would be the nature of that water. Is it dark and brooding? Is it muddy? Is it threatening like big waves? Is it choppy or is it smooth and clear? Is it placid and calm or spinning wildly? I mean, do you see any kind of... Uh... I've had um, half and half. I've had the water very murky and I can't see through it. And then I've also had um, like the rivers very clear and I could see, you know, my hand going under it. Do you think of yourself as a emotional person? Yes, I'm very emotional. Is it I'm something you'd emotional. like to get more understanding of or more control? I don't mean... more co Actually, more control. And I don't oh, mean I repressing or suppressing, but just better management skills and understanding the... Yes, actually, more understanding of myself and more management of my emotions. Yeah. I'm a very emotional person, and a tendency to have them sometimes overtake me, you know, over-control me. Okay. And yet you're not having, like, tidal wave dreams or tsunami dreams, right? No. Okay. No, I haven't had... No. Well, so that's a good thing. So the water seems pretty manageable. And is it, is, is it always liquid? Do you ever have, like, snow and ice dreams or frozen lake dreams? Or no, anything? it's always liquid. It's always, you know, bodies of water, just, you know, just liquid. Mm -hmm. And is it usually uh, flowing? Do you get rivers more than lakes or oceans? or? Um, actually, I had an ocean one. Um, we were at uh, at like a beach house, but it was a house on the ocean itself, like you know, on stilts. Uh huh. And then all of a sudden, the water came, and it's you know, almost like a tsunami. I guess you would say that. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's overwhelming you sometimes. So. Oh, yeah. yeah. I never thought about and that the stilts one. is trying to get above it. Hmm. So, uh, yeah, you just want to learn. You're probably a very smart woman, a very intelligent. Rely a lot on your mind and. I wouldn't suggest that you do that less, but mm -hmm. maybe um, supplement your logic and your reasonable nature with uh, a tendency to honor a bit more your emotional feelings. Emotional intelligence is a topic that I like to talk about. I've discussed it in the past. Uh, even the concept of an EQ or an emotional intelligence, just like an IQ, mm -hmm. we find that people's emotional skills can be eight to ten times more important in your success in life than your intelligence quotient, your IQ. Is a, there's a lot of very smart people that never seem to really uh, get their lives to work. You know, they say in emotional intelligence, like, if you're so smart, then why aren't you successful? And it's because often 
we don't have these social skills. We don't have. I mean, what school is teaching you to understand yourself? Uh-huh. The school teaches you to understand everything but yourself, and the mind is largely the uh, that point of objectivity for understanding the world around you. But the emotional nature, I would argue, is largely subjective. And uh, your EQ, so to speak, is about understanding your beautiful uniqueness as an individual and the talents and gifts that you have and and honoring your individuality in a world where we're often taught to feel strange and odd about how different we are rather than celebrating, Yahoo, I'm so weird, I'm so different, can you believe it? (laughs) You You know what I'm saying? I do. I definitely do. And that makes a lot of things a lot more clearer to me, too. Yeah. Definitely does. So maybe you could even think about what would you like to do with that water? Would you like to swim in it? Would you like to float on it? Would you like to have a little boat to paddle around or a big boat or mm-hmm. or swim underwater? Mm-hmm. I would like to actually just ride it. <laughs> ride it out? Ride it out. Surf definitely. it out? Surf it out type of thing. Then every time you think of those dreams in your waking state, see yourself surfing it out. And as you go to sleep at night, again, if you have any concern about, "Uh uh-oh, I don't want to have another one of those dreams, then Uh put yourself in a boat or on a surfboard and Uh ride the big waves. Great. Okay. Okay. I'll do that. Thank you very much, Michael, for your time. You're very welcome. Wonderful program. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much. KPFK on your radio. Emotions can be very scary, especially uh, the big emotional affect that uh, that we have after we wake up and remember a dream. I mean, I've never seen a study that broke down what part of dreams on average are mental in nature and what part are emotional in nature, but my, my sense of it is the majority of what we retain if a dream is so impactful that we just can't stop thinking about it. I mean, many dreams, you know, one minute after you're awake, you've forgotten already the dream. By the time you get to the kitchen and plug in the coffee pot, your dreams are long gone. But those that do linger, that uh, do stay with you, I think that's because they have more of an emotional than a mental impact. And so when we look for the meaning of our dreams, or when we want to understand our dreams, often, uh, again, making them about you. Hey, what if everyone and everything, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to expand on what I said before, everyone in your dream is you? How about everyone and everything in your dream is you? I think all of us can benefit from developing our emotional intelligence a little bit, you know, learning to walk on water. How about that? How about if we leave it at that? We're going till two this afternoon talking about sleep and dreams and the meaning of dreams and the if it were a dream, what would it mean technique? Anybody that wants to talk about synchronicities today, let's go to Huntington Beach. And uh, Deborah, you're on KPFK, Intervision with Michael Benner. Hi. Hi, Michael. It's good to talk with you. Thank you. I like how you said that uh, dreams are healing. And um, I had a dream about 10 days before my son died suddenly. He was 17 years old. 
And uh, in my dream, Stephen was laying in a beautiful wooded place and um, with moss, and the sun was streaming in, and he had the most tranquil, happy, contented look on his face. And he said, Mama, can I stay here? I have to stay here. And um, he just looked, I, I thought, oh, they're, I shouldn't leave him in the woods, but, but um, he looked so happy and contented. I had to leave him there. And um, and then the second part of the dream, this is still my dream, was in the morning and, and a little half-grown bird hopped into um, the, on the floor and the bird had feathers and the bird had down and was not old enough to be out of the nest. So I went to rescue the bird, but he hopped outside into the low branches of a tree and two cats were prowling underneath the tree <laughs> and looking up at at the bird and I knew the bird was going to die. And normally I don't remember my dreams at all, but this dream was so impactful and so vivid that it stayed with me for days and and weeks. And well, until well, you know, until um, my son did die ten ten days after I had that dream. And was he ill? No, I will. No, no, he uh, he took his own life. I see. So you had no foreshadowing other than you probably knew he was troubled or depressed or whatever. I knew he was troubled and he he battled depression and um so but you know I think as a parent you never suspect something like that will happen even with the dream I didn't I didn't think that anything would happen to him No I'm so sorry for your loss when did this happen 2 years ago Just 2 years ago so mm-hmm. you're just barely getting on your feet even now I suppose huh Yes, in, in many ways. But I look back at the dream, and I, it's so vivid in my mind how how peaceful and how how tranquil and how contented he was, and 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 how he just looked so at peace. And then, please, can I stay here? And I, it made me think, you know, whenever I'm at the lowest point, I think about that dream and why I had that dream and who gave me that dream. Yeah. And uh, it gives me it gives me comfort. Exactly, and that is purpose enough, isn't it? Oh, yes. Uh-huh. In other words, this would fall into perhaps the category of dreams known as prophetic dreams, dreams of prophecy, mm-hmm. uh, foreshadowing dreams, mm-hmm. um, just to sort of buffer the impact, perhaps, a reminder that that um, your son was looking for a, for a peaceful place. Yes. Uh, this, uh, you know, I often... I, well, I won't say often. Sometimes in a in a classroom setting or even sitting around with friends, if I talk about a particular model of life that I have uh, that, that says basically this is hell. Mm-hmm. This is hell. Mm-hmm. Our incarnation into physical form, as beautiful as it is, as much opportunity as there is here for for goodness and contribution and peace and love and understanding, mm-hmm. I think this is hell. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think this is as bad as it gets. I think you're right. <laughs> and people always look at me funny, like sometimes they'll chuckle and think I'm trying to make a joke and they want to be supportive, but I'm serious. Mm-hmm. And I think to be condemned to hell means to 
via reincarnation, have to repeat life again and again until we learn the lessons that we need to learn, and that that can be very, very uh, difficult. Some of us seems like we're just not suited for this place. Mm, yes, Stephen did not seem so suited for this place. He was very sensitive, and and he wise. One of his teachers said he seemed like an old soul, huh. and um, and I think maybe that maybe that's true. Maybe that's true. Do you feel that you've maintained your connection to his spirit? Um, yes, I I do. I've I've done a lot of well reading since then. That's helped me a lot. Reading about near death experiences and what happens when we die, and and that our spirit still lives. And I believe Stephen still lives. And yeah. and uh, I've planted a little tree here in our local park and oh, that's put nice. a bench in for him and. And I feel very connected. I know that I'll see him again, you know, and whatever whatever happens when this body, this shell goes, I know I will see him again. Yeah, love, love does not die. Uh, love is, uh, well, gosh, no energy really dies. If, if we went back to our eighth grade science textbook and looked up conservation of mass and energy, you'd see even in physics a law that says energy cannot be destroyed. Mm-hmm. nor created, for that matter. So all energy is, in a sense, eternal and immortal. And uh, so certainly spiritual energy, if physical energy can't be used up or killed off, then certainly spiritual energy uh, exists. And bonds of love, once created, never go away. So I would say continue to honor those bonds and know that he lives. And and not in necessarily a superstitious or even a religious sense, just in a metaphysical. He's got to be someplace where that energy go. We can't destroy energy. It's got to be out there someplace. Right, right. Well, I I believe he lives. And and as you were saying too, that this life can be hellish and painful. And and I believe there really, truly, is something a lot better that we we wake up and we're we're home. You know after this life. Yeah. Well, thanks for your call. Again, I'm sorry for your loss, but uh, there's always, you know, something to learn and some benefit that comes out of that. Consider that always that, you know, there's silver linings in these hellish dark clouds. Yes. Well, I do think I have a a toehold in eternity. (laughs) That's nicely said. Thank you. Thank you, Michael. Have Bye-bye. a wonderful weekend. KPFK on your radio. That's about it. I got a couple more minutes, but I want to uh, turn to uh, my best friend, my wife, ah. the producer, director, talent of Profiles <laughs> in Peace, the one woman show. Hi, Doreen King. Hello. Uh, I asked you to come in here because I'm going to be out of town next week, but you're going to be here and you're going to, I understand, interview. One of our um, dearest friends oh, and crazy mistakes. I still can't believe he's. We're as close as we are. It's like uh, you know having one of the Beatles as your friend or something. He's amazing, Andrew Harvey. Well, over the years, we we interview a lot of people. You meet a lot of people. I got a lot of years and a lot of folks that we've met here at KPFK. And every once in a while, you know, there's somebody that just for whatever reason yeah. stands head and shoulders above the rest and. My God, Andrew Harvey, you were talking uh, this morning. In fact, we were talking about your promo, and you describe 
What did what was it that Utney Reader said about Andrew Harvey? He's one of a hundred visionaries that can change your life. So it was like one of the most Utney Reader's version of the one hundred most important people yeah, in the world. Yeah, uh, it's it's an amazing show. It's already recorded, and so it's a pre-recorded show. But it's going to be amazing. What did you talk about? Oh, um, we talked about um, Jesus, as according to the Gospel of St. Thomas, and mostly about Rumi, and um, we talked about sacred activism, which uh, Andrew has come up with this term, and how we all need to become sacred activists in, this, in these really dark times so that we can move into the light. I love it when Andrew talks about wedding our political passion with our spiritual passion for truth and justice. Sacred activism. Let's not be afraid of our anger. No, I hope everybody's going to tune in, and I promise not to break your talk show. Thank you. you, (laughs) So everybody tune in. It's going to be great, and then I'll see you all for fundraising. So that's a week from today. I'm just going to take a week off. I'm going to go on a business trip, and Doreen will be here with a special intervision program from her Profiles and Peace Series. Don't you miss it, Andrew Harvey. It's a love fest, folks. It certainly is a love fest. That's during key. Thanks to D'Angelo, as always, for engineering. Brooks, our producer, to each of you for listening and for calling. Thanks to my web guys, Kurt Wyman, Craig Duncan, Roy Batchelor, and uh, gosh, just to everybody at KPFK. Stay tuned. All kinds of wonderful programming for you on this special Memorial Day holiday weekend. I hope you enjoy yourself. Fire up the Barbie and uh, be careful in the traffic and watch for those police roadblocks. They're going to get you if you're not too careful. And uh, again, join us next week for Doreen, and I'll be here the week after. As always, be gentle, love life, and take care of each other. This is Michael Benner. We may say a lost farewell.